Well, good morning, everyone. Nice to see you this morning. Uh, before we get into the message, uh, I just feel that uh, we've had a bit of a tough week in our church this week, and uh, I would like to just pray for uh, for some people in our particular in our church in particular who uh, really need it. Uh, Diana had a tough week, as you know, and. Uh, uh, Laura's son is fighting for his life, and I just want to lift these folks up in prayer uh, before we begin the message today, so let's do that. Lord God, we come to you this morning uh, with heavy hearts uh, over some of the things that have happened this week, and uh, Lord, we lift up Diana Claus unto you in particular, and uh, Lord, we pray for healing for her. We pray uh, that you will just do a mighty work in her life, Lord. Touch her body and heal her body, and may it all be for your glory, Lord. And as uh, Laura's son, Brett, uh, fights for his life, Lord, I pray the same, that that you would heal him for your glory, Lord, uh, not for our glory, but for his, and that uh, he would live a long life, and and Lord, that he would glorify you by his life. And for for the Eichmanns, Lord, we've heard about the passing of their son this week, and uh, I cannot imagine the pain that they are experiencing, Lord, and I just ask that you would lift uh, or just uh, pour yourself into them, Lord. I know they know you. I know they love you. I pray that you would be their comforter today, Lord, as they deal with this most horrible and dreadful thing that has happened to them, uh, every parent's worst nightmare. Lord, we lift these folks up to you and and so many others in our body who are, are just having a difficult time for whatever reason. I lift them up to you as well, Lord. But we lift these three up to you specifically, Lord, today and ask your healing hand to be on them. I pray in Jesus' name, Lord. Amen. All right. Well, with that said, we are going to do a couple of weeks break this week as we are going to be talking about the attributes of a godly young woman uh, and a godly young man taking a break from our study in Acts. And uh, originally, I had our teenagers in mind and our young 20s maybe in mind this week as we were uh, thinking about this message. But the more I thought about it, the more I thought, you know, this this message is something that we all need to hear uh, from time to time. So, Uh, If you're over 25, don't go to sleep on me, Uh, but if you're under 25, uh, this message is uh, specifically for you, and I've had this message on my mind uh, for a bunch of weeks now as uh, the return to college is is coming, and for some of you, going to college for the first time is coming, and it's an exciting time uh, in life, and the reason why I want to give a message like this is because I remember very well what it was like when I went off to college uh, for the first time, and I was free from the constraints of living under my parents' roof, and I was free to do whatever I wanted to do and, and have complete and utter uh, decision-making autonomy in my life. And, and what an exciting time that is uh, if, if you're properly prepared for it. Uh, so uh, I thought and qu- uh, prayed quite a lot about how much I ought to tell you about my college experience while I was up here. Let's just say that I was not quite prepared. I was not adequately prepared for what college was going to bring to me. Uh, And so uh, I don't blame anyone but myself for that. I had walked away from the Lord during my teenage years. I was not at all grounded in the truth. Uh, And uh, I was easy pickings for Satan, to be honest. When I got off to college uh, with all this freedom, I was not mature enough to know how to handle it. I couldn't handle the temptation of all the things that were presented to me. Uh, And I was not grounded in the Word so that I was rooted in the Word uh, well enough to know uh, that, you know, this is not God's will for me. Uh, I wasn't thinking about God's will for me. I was thinking about my will for me. And and so that that is scary. And so when I look back on my college years, 
uh, I see wasted time and wasted opportunity, uh, a life not pleasing to the Lord, uh, and, uh, and honestly, years of regret that, that I would love to have back. And I don't want any of that for you young people who are going off to college, uh, who are starting college, going back to college, or maybe juniors and seniors in high school thinking about college. And so uh, I hope that this message will have some value for you. For, so for the next two weeks, uh, we're going to be looking at the attributes of a godly young woman and a godly young man uh, from the book of Ruth. And this week, I'm going to be talking specifically to you young ladies. And next week, uh, it'll be uh, time for the uh, young men. Uh, but there's going to be plenty of overlap as we talk about these attributes of a godly woman. Uh, the same things that made Ruth a godly woman are in, oftentimes the same things that will make a Boaz a godly man, as we'll see as we get into uh, the story. Uh, and that's because of two very important biblical principles that I want to give you uh, right at the outset. And the first one is this, Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A fear means reverence and awe of God. We have to look at God that way. We have to look at him with fear, awe, and reverence and love him and love what he says. And, and we cannot make wise decisions and we cannot have wisdom unless we first look to the Lord's wisdom to hold him with awesomeness and, and reverence. And then we can start to make good decisions. And then the second principle is this. Uh, in Matthew 22, Jesus was asked, which is the greatest commandment of all? Uh, and he, Jesus said, uh, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then he said, the second commandment is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and all of the prophets. And so uh, if you fear the Lord, if you love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and if you love others, you will stay on the path that God has for you. And Ruth is a fine example of a woman who does these things. And so that's why we're looking at the, at the book of Ruth, looking at Ruth's story and then looking at Boaz's story next week. Now, I don't have time to read all of chapter one, so let me summarize uh, what has happened uh, up to the point where we're going to pick up. Uh, Elimelech and Naomi were married and living in Jerusalem with two sons when a famine hit. Uh, when this famine hit, uh, Elimelech decided that he was going to move his family to Moab uh, because he had heard that there was food there. So he lives in Jerusalem. He's got to go around the Dead Sea to the land of Moab here. And uh, so that's where they're going to spend their time. Well, in Moab, Elimelech dies. Uh, his two sons marry. One marries a woman named Orpah. The other marries a woman named Ruth. And then these two sons die. And so that leaves just Naomi and Orpah and Ruth. Well, with the two husbands dead, Naomi makes a decision that she's going to move back to Jerusalem, and uh, she encourages her two daughters-in-law to go back to Moab, back to their families, and to find uh, husbands for themselves uh, there in Moab. Well, Orpah does that. She goes back, but Ruth stays, uh, and that takes us through verse 14. And so now what I want you to see, uh, first of all, is that a godly woman loves God and loves others first. And so we're going to read verses uh, 15 through 17 of chapter 1. Then Naomi said, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people 
and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. So we have Ruth modeling these two commandments that Jesus uh, said were so important, the two most important. First, Ruth loved God. Ruth was from Moab. It was a pagan society. Pagans had multiple gods, thousands of gods, and yet she must have been persuaded over time by Naomi uh, that the God of Israel, Naomi's God, was the one true God. And she wanted that God to be her God. Now, pagans believed that uh, a God had power only in the place where its worshipers existed. So the gods of Moab would not be the gods of pagans through anywhere else. Uh, only the gods of Moab, they would only rule in Moab where the people uh, believed in him there. So their gods were local gods. They weren't universal gods uh, like the one true God. Uh, so for Ruth to leave her land meant to leave her gods. And that's a really big deal in that society, to leave your god behind to follow after another god uh, is really saying something. And so uh, Ruth shows that she loves the one true God by doing this. And second, Naomi loved Ruth more than herself. Ruth would be abandoning uh, her family, never to see them again. She'd be abandoning her home. To live in Jerusalem and to be buried there uh, meant that you were leaving everything in Moab behind, and it meant no return. And the place where you were buried in that culture really was a big deal. It said a lot about you because where you were going to be buried was the place that you identified with. So now she's identifying herself with Jerusalem, with Naomi and Naomi's people, and no longer uh, from her homeland of Moab where she was from. Uh, so that would give her a completely new identity. But this was not only a love for Naomi. It's a love for God. It's a love for Naomi's people. And it's a love for that land. And that's a huge, huge commitment that she made, and she cemented that, uh, that uh, commitment by an oath, which would be punishable by death. If, if, if she were to uh, break this oath and anything but death parted Ruth from Naomi, she was calling down uh, curses on herself. And so Ruth had a strong, determined faith, and Ruth's commitment to Naomi was unshakable. She loved God, and she loved others. And young ladies, you have to have that kind of faith as you go off to college because your faith is going to be challenged. You need to love God like this. You need to follow God with total commitment. When you get to college, you're going to find that there are so many things that are going to compete for your attention, right? And uh, those of you who are in college already, you know uh, the schoolwork, the extracurricular activities, the social media, the, the, the social activities, everything vying for your time. Always remember to put God first. For some of you, it may be a shock when you get to college to find out that there are going to be people there who are unbelievers, right? Many of you may not have spent a lot of time around unbelievers in life. And I can tell you from my life as an unbeliever that these people think differently than you think. Uh, they do not understand your faith. They will not understand why you don't want to go to a party or maybe try some recreational drugs or alcohol. They won't understand that. Uh, boys won't understand why you don't want to sleep with them. Uh, everyone else is doing it. Why won't you? So when I say what I'm about to say, I say this with utmost grace is what I intend to, how I intend to mean it. And if you make a mistake, you make a mistake. But 
God will always forgive you. But I want to tell you that your virginity is a gift that you give to your husband on your wedding night. And you can only give that gift away one time. So don't give it away to some boy who's cute, who says, if you really loved me, you would sleep with me. Don't do that. You give that gift only one time to the boy who is willing to make a commitment to God and to you. If he's not willing to do that, then he's not the boy for you. And if he breaks up with you, that's because God has someone else for you. So don't allow that into your life. Um, that doesn't mean, though, that we avoid unbelievers, right? We still have to live in this world. And so that's the scary part of college is you're going to mix and mingle with people who, who you have not met before, people who are different from you, people who think differently than you. You're to be in this world, but you're not to be of this world. And so you have to be salt and light to these unbelievers who need a witness. And young ladies, you are that witness. You have been appointed by God to be that witness. And so you have to be in this world and affect it for good rather than letting this world affect you for evil. It's hard to do. But if you put your relationship above God, I mean, if you put your relationship with God above all other things, uh, you will not stumble. Love God, love others. That's the best foundation you can have. But you still have to live in this world. So how do you do it? Let's skip ahead to chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, and we'll see that a godly woman has initiative, courage, and confidence. Now, Naomi had a kinsman of her husband, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabitess, said to Naomi, Please let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after one in whose sight I may find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Well, the author introduces Boaz now. He's a new character to the story. He was a kinsman or a close relative of, of uh, Naomi's husband, Elimelech. And he stayed in Jerusalem through this famine, and he had come out of it wealthy. Now, on the other hand, Ruth and Naomi had come back to Jerusalem, but they had absolutely nothing. And so uh, Ruth knew that she was going to have to work to provide not only for her, but also to provide for Naomi, who was uh, becoming elderly and needed help uh, being provided for. And, and Ruth did not sit around and wait for God to provide uh, for her. Her faith was active. She did something. Leviticus chapter 19 says that the farmers are not allowed to glean all the way to the very corners and edges of their fields. They're supposed to leave a little bit so the poor can come in and, and glean after them. And and if a, a harvester happened to drop a bundle of harvested grain, they had to leave it there for the gleaners to come and pick it up afterward. So a gleaner is somebody who follows after the reapers, picking up what the, what the uh, harvesters or reapers have left behind. And it's a very humble thing to be a gleaner because you're a poor and you're depending for your livelihood and survival on what other people have left behind. Now remember, Ruth is a widow. She's a foreigner. She's unattached to a male in a society where you needed a male for protection and for provision. And she's supporting Naomi. Now, this is a courageous woman. She did not have time to think 
about her pride, right? She and Naomi needed to eat, and so she should have, or she could have sat around and waited and prayed all day for God to, to provide. But, but her faith was an active faith. She took initiative. She laid down her pride. She laid down her fear of being uh, not from this area or fear of what uh, strange men, the danger that they might pose to her in, in the fields. And she courageously did something. Now, I remember when we moved to Texas and we uh, were going to put our kids into school for the first day, right? And it's scary to put your kids in school uh, first day. They have to go off and meet all these new kids. And as a parent, you're terrified uh, to do that, praying that the kids will be nice to them and everything else. And any of you who have ever gone to a first day of school or had a first job and showed up on, on the job for the first day, uh, you know that kind of angst that I'm talking about. Well, none of that is anything compared to what Ruth would have faced as she went out into this field amidst all kinds of dangers that were available and possible that could have happened to her, uh, and to do that alone for the first time. That was a really difficult thing for her. But look how God rewarded her. Uh, it says that she happened to be in the field belonging to her kinsman, Boaz. Now, when the author uses this word, happened, uh, we see it several times in the book of Ruth. Uh, he doesn't mean coincidence. He means providence. We see it over and over in the book of Ruth. And so he's saying it with a wink and with tongue-in-cheek, like, look at this. Look at how this just happened to have happened, right? Because God is in control of all of these events that are happening in the book of Ruth. Uh, and so there are no coincidences with God. It's all God's providence. He's in control of everything, and he protected Ruth, and he led her into the field that he wanted to go to, and that was Boaz's field. So, young ladies, don't be afraid. Have courage. Have confidence. Take initiative. Don't give in to fear that this is a man's world, and you can only go as far in this world as uh, a man will allow you to go. Uh, that's not true. You're only limited by your own... Uh, your own limitations that you place on yourself uh, and by uh, whatever other imaginations that you have. You know, that, that's the, those things that come from your own brain that are, are what limit you sometimes. You can do anything you want to do uh, in this world. In that society, women were very much dependent on men, and yet Ruth was still able to provide for Naomi, and God blessed her way beyond what she ever could have imagined, if you know the entire story, because of her faith and her courage and her fearlessness and her initiative. In our society, you women don't have to be dependent on men. You know that, right? This society is, is geared so that women can succeed as well. You're equal to men in every respect and in God's eyes. So don't forget that. You don't have to believe the lie that you need a man and you don't have to depend on a man for your survival. So don't attach yourself to a man just because you're afraid that you can't survive. And certainly, don't attach yourself to the wrong man. Look for a Christian man. Look for a man who honors God, and he will honor you too. Look for a man who depends on God. And then if you find that man, it's okay to depend on that man because he depends on God, and he's going to depend on you too. He's going to see your relationship, your marriage as a partnership, and that's the kind of man you want to find. Well, it wasn't long before Boaz noticed Ruth working in his field, and he asked one of his workers, who is this woman? I've never seen her before. Who is this out working in my field? And the worker told Boaz that this was Ruth, the woman who came back with Naomi uh, from Moab, and, and she requested permission to glean in your field, and she has been working hard there all day long. And so Boaz went to talk to her. 
And what we'll see here is that a godly woman is a good witness. Verses 11 and 12 of chapter 2. Boaz said to her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me, and how you left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and came to a people that you did not previously know. May the Lord reward your work and your wages be full from the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. Young ladies, people are watching you. People are watching you. Women will compare themselves to you. They will talk about how you dress, what you post on social media, how many guys you date. Uh, men will be talking about the same things to see if they can take advantage of you somehow. Uh, trust me, I'm going to be talking to the young men about this next week. But for this week, I want to talk to you because what I want you to know, which is completely unfair, but this is the way it is today. There is a double standard in this world. And when boys go out and they sleep with a bunch of women, other young boys are going to high-five them and they're going to admire them. And if you ladies do the same thing, these very same boys are going to call you nasty names and so will the women too. There is a double standard that is completely unfair, but you need to know it because you have to protect your reputation. It's the most important thing you have and you decide what your reputation is. So. You have to protect it. It's your witness to the world, and, and people are always watching you. People were watching Ruth. Who is this woman from Moab? Why would she come back from Moab with her mother-in-law when her family still lived in Moab? Well, Boaz had heard about Ruth already before uh, she, he had ever met Ruth, and it was only Ruth's first day on the job. Uh, in verses 8 to 10, which we're going to look at next week, we're going to see that Boaz recognized that she was a woman of fine character, this Ruth. And, and when Ruth asked, how have I found such favor in your sight uh, and bowed low to do that, Boaz said that all that she had done in leaving Moab and in coming back to Jerusalem with her mother-in-law had been reported to him. In other words, everybody was talking about Ruth. This is small town. We have a new person in this small town Many of you may go to small colleges and you won't be able to hide there. People are going to be talking about you, whether for good or for bad. And so everybody's talking about Ruth and, and Ruth's reputation had become known to Boaz before he ever even laid eyes on her. And so uh, Boaz knew that she had put her trust in God and that she was acting accordingly by what she was doing. And that, that had become public knowledge. And in verse three, or chapter 3, verse 11, uh, Boaz says to her, all my people in the city know that you are a woman of excellence. And that's because Ruth was living out her life to a watching world of, and she was being a great witness. And, and Ruth created her outstanding reputation because of her character and by the things that she did. Uh, and if you know the whole story, I just want to dispel something that may trouble you. You may be troubled by the fact that Ruth uh, went to where Boaz was sleeping and uncovered her feet, which uncovered his feet, which seems highly suggestive. And what I want to say to you is that that was very much a cultural thing that happened in those days. It was a little aggressive, but it was not an inappropriate move by Ruth. She was asking him to propose marriage to her, and she was submitting herself 
to his authority uh, and putting him or herself under his cloak of protection. And that was symbolic of protection. It was not innuendo of inappropriate sexual activity. Uh, and some, so today, even some Jewish grooms do that. They will lay their cloaks over their brides as a symbol of protection, even in Jewish wedding ceremonies today, taken from the book of Ruth. Uh, the text is clear that Ruth slept at Boaz's feet and that she rose early uh, the next morning. And then Boaz went about the business of figuring out what had to be done so that he could marry Ruth uh, and take her appropriately. Young ladies, you get a good reputation by following after God wholeheartedly, by walking according to his will, by living a life that is pleasing to him. In college, you're going to be exposed to some new things. Uh, the, the boys are just one part of it. Alcohol and drugs, just another part of it. But you are going to run into all kinds of strange things that you may not have heard before. Uh, your college professors may actually mock your Christianity, which you may never have heard before. Uh, they may expose you to strange philosophies. They might, may try to sell you on evolution, uh, which you have heard of, but uh, when you get to it in college, it's going to become the paradigm, perhaps, for how life began and how this creation uh, exists here. They want to sell you that we evolved by chance over millions of years out of primordial slime to become bacteria and then plants and then fish and then monkeys and then human beings. That's what they want us to believe. Now, that's the biggest lie, perhaps the biggest lie, ever perpetrated on mankind. It makes your birth meaningless. It makes your life meaningless. It makes your death meaningless. It makes the cross meaningless. It takes God out of the equation completely. It allows for things like survival of the fittest. And if survival of the fittest is right, then who is to say that Hitler was wrong? If the fit survived, then Hitler had a right to do what he did. This is where evolution takes us. So don't be caught up in that lie. It's a huge lie that's been perpetrated on our society. They'll try to sell you on things like humanism, uh, the philosophy that humans are be becoming better and better and better, and we don't need God because we are perfectly sufficient in our own selves. Well, I'm sure that many of you have had uh, history, and you've taken history of the 20th century, and if you studied World War I, World War II, the Korean War, Vietnam, civil war throughout the 20th century, millions and millions and millions of people killed by despotic rulers, I don't think you can argue that we're getting better and better, right? We're not getting better and better. We'll only get worse because the more power we have, the more corrupt we become. So don't let them sell you on these strange philosophies. But you have to be careful because this me-first culture that we live in perpetuates all of these things. Uh, we find our identity and self-worth and the number of followers we have on, Twitter's, the, on Twitter, the number of likes we have on our Instagram or Facebook post. I know you kids don't use Facebook, but just saying, for us somewhat older folks, our Facebook likes become important to us. Uh, advertisers, too, will tell you it's all about you and what you need to be happy and what you need to be complete. This is an absolute lie. These are the things that, that they want to tell you about materialism to make you complete in stuff rather than being complete in God. And so our culture has fallen for the lie and pushes the lie on you that God wants you to be happy. If God exists at all, he wants you to be happy. But what he really, what he, what he really wants for you is to be holy. 
And so you're going to be challenged. You're going to face lots of challenges in college. I just want you to keep God first. I want you to hold to biblical inerrancy. I want you to believe that every word of that Bible is true that you carry and that you know, because as soon as you start to drift from that, your beliefs and your morality will drift with it. So stand firm. Part of the call of Christianity is to suffer in this world. Ruth was a foreigner in a land not her own, and so are we. We have to live out our faith in a world that is hostile to us, that does not want to hear about our Christian faith. It mocks us for our moral convictions and our desire to live a life pleasing to Christ. It takes strength and fortitude to be able to do that. And the only place you can find that is in Jesus Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells in you. And so I pray that you will tap into that. You want to have a desire to walk according to his will no matter what the world says. And so that's how you be a witness to a watching world. Now let's take a second to look at this Proverbs 31 woman. Just turn over to Proverbs 31, and I want to tell you an interesting fact about the layout of our Bible. In our English Bible, Ruth comes right after Judges. But if you were to read your Hebrew Bible, you would find that Ruth comes right after Proverbs, which is really interesting because Proverbs 31 is the last chapter of Proverbs, and then you would turn right over to begin the book of Ruth. And many scholars think that that was done intentionally because Ruth is meant to be the example of what the Proverbs 31 woman is supposed to look like. So you read Proverbs 31 and then you turn over to Ruth and, and there you're reading the example. So as you're looking at, at Proverbs 31 verses 10 to 31, just to do a flyover here, uh, verse 10 says, an excellent wife, uh, who can find her? Uh, for her worth is far above jewels. And then the rest of the passage really just talks about the qualities that this excellent wife will have, qualities that you need to have. Her husband will trust her, verse 11. Uh, she does him good and not evil, verse 12. She works with her hands, verse 13. She's not lazy, but she rises early, verse 15. Uh, verse 20, she gives to the poor. Verse 21, she is prepared for all things. Verse 25, she is dignified and she is strong. Verse 26, she has words of wisdom. Verse 27 to 29, her household blesses her and recognizes her value. And the biggest one, I think the most important one, verse 30, she knows the vanity of things that are passing away and she finds her identity in the Lord. Young ladies, there are so many places that you can find identity other than the Lord. You can find your identity in a man. You can find your identity in your grades. You can find your identity in your looks or your clothes. But all of these things are fleeting. That's why the, the song says, on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand, right? All other ground is sinking sand. It can all be taken away from you. You could lose everything, but you can never lose Christ. And so find your identity in him. So let's just do a couple of quick applications before we wrap up. Uh, with that in mind, uh, the first thing I want you to understand is that you are complete by yourself in Christ. Young ladies, you don't need a boyfriend to be complete. You are enough. Christ loves you whether you have a boyfriend or not. Uh, so don't feel the need to have that. Your identity is in Christ and, and you find your identity in yourself. 
Secondly, you are Christ's unique creation. You are beautiful. Each one of you young ladies are beautiful and Christ loves you. He made you just the way you are and he loves you just the way you are. You are fearfully and wonderfully made as Psalm 139 says. So love and respect yourself as much as Christ loves and respects you. Number three, it's okay not to fit in in every situation. You're going to find yourself in college in uncomfortable situations around people that you would prefer not to be with and you will feel like you're sticking out like a sore thumb because of your Christian values and how you carry yourself. It's okay. You're supposed to stand out in some situations. We are supposed to stand out for Christ. You know, the Greek word for church is ekklesia. It's a compound word. Ek means from out of or away from, and klesia means called out. So the church is called out from. We're called out from the masses. We're not supposed to look like the masses. So it's okay not to fit in with the masses. We're supposed to stand out for Christ. Fourth, find a mentor. Your parents give you valuable guidance and you need that valuable guidance, but you need somebody closer to your age who can be a mentor to you, somebody like Ruth. Uh, College campuses all have Christian groups that you can join and you can find a mentor among those people. And number five, be praying for a godly husband. Eventually, most of you will get married. Choose wisely. Do not marry an unbeliever. As much as you may believe you're in love with that person, that person will eventually turn you away from Christ uh, or at least make it very hard for you to follow Christ. And that's why God told the Israelites over and over again, don't intermarry with pagans. They are going to take you away from the one true God. Uh, So don't do that. Don't fall into a life of sin that a pagan, somebody who doesn't believe in God is going to take you to. God didn't want that for them and he does not want that for you. So wait for the right husband. I know it can be hard and I know it can be lonely, but be patient. Trust God. He has the right man for you and he will bring him to you in his time. Young ladies, I pray that you will allow Ruth to be a model to you. I encourage you to read this book over and over again. Ruth came from very humble circumstances and yet God blessed her abundantly, way beyond her imagination because she loved God and she was obedient to him. And I pray that he would find you to be a woman of excellence and that he would bless you uh, like he blessed Ruth. Now, let me give you one final word. We all sin from time to time, right? We all blow it. None of us is perfect. If you believe in Jesus Christ as your savior, then you don't have anything to worry about. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins and there is forgiveness in his blood and in his name. And there's always grace. No sin is too big for God. Even if you've committed the worst thing and you go to college and you do something that you're utterly ashamed of, there is always grace from God when you have decided to make Jesus your savior. So, Don't worry if you can't be the Proverbs 31 woman 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Nobody can be that. It's an impossible standard to reach. If we could reach it, we wouldn't need a savior. That's why Jesus Christ came and died for us. So there's always grace and it's found in the blood of Jesus. Now, parents, we are not perfect either, right? We have all made mistakes. We have all sinned. We've all done things that we are ashamed of. So let's not pretend with our kids that we are perfect. 
we have sinned, our kids will sin too. And if we want our kids to come to us with their problems and to be able to confide in us, uh, we have to be able to give them the same grace that God has given us. Because if we don't give them that grace that God has given them, then we come across looking like hypocrites. And we can't do that. God has given us immeasurable grace. So let's give that same grace to our kids, knowing that he loves them and he loves us in spite of our sin too. I pray that some of those words are helpful for you this morning, ladies, as you go off and go back to college. And uh, may God just do amazing things with you. We are so proud of you who are going off and uh, who have been there already, just uh, beyond proud of, of how you've conducted yourself so far. And uh, we're here to support you. And if there is anything that we can do for you as a church, we are here for you. And uh, we just want you to know that we love you. And, and uh, we pray that this will continue to be your church home uh, for years to come. Let's pray. Lord God, this is a tough message at times. Lord, as we come to... Uh, the point in our lives sometimes where the rubber meets the road and we have to decide, yes, Lord, I love you, but I want to do this thing. Or, yes, Lord, I want to make you Lord of my life, but, boy, that thing sure looks like a lot of fun. Lord, uh, help these young ladies as they go off to college, as they go back to college, to make good decisions, to keep you first in their minds, Lord, to make decisions that are pleasing to you, to not let the world have dominion over them, Lord, but to let you be Lord of their lives and help, just help them make good decisions, Lord, and be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, knowing that you have what is best for them, Lord. When they're struggling, when they're having trying times, Lord, I pray that there will be somebody in their lives who they can go to, whether it be a parent or a friend, that they will not be alone and isolated with the power of Satan, nipping at their heels, telling them to do the thing that would be unpleasing to God. Lord, I pray your protection and your provision for them as they go off and face a world that is often going to be hostile to them, Lord. Please give them your grace, give them your love, give them your protection. It's in Jesus' name I pray, Lord. Amen.